Welcome back to the first Monday edition of Dear Old State of the 2020 college football season. Uh, I am the athletic college football editor, Matt Brown, joined by Audrey Snyder, who is back from the road, back from Bloomington. Audrey, um, well, it was a long wait, and this is not how anybody expected the season to start. Uh, we, We knew that Indiana would be a potential loss, but Nobody could have predicted the way the game actually played out. And uh, how crazy was your experience in a mostly empty stadium in Bloomington? You know, Matt, as I was driving back to State College on Sunday, a wonderful nine-hour drive, mostly in the rain, um, I had a lot of time to think about the Indiana 36-Penn State 35 game overtime debacle. I don't know if that's enough time to think about all that. <laughs> you know, and it was funny because like, as I kept driving, like at one point I got to Dayton and I was like, oh my gosh, I totally like forgot the really wacky sequence right before the half. Um, <laughs> when, you know, Jake Pinnegar misses a very makeable field goal attempt. The loudest doink of all time. If you you know, back I, to the video <laughs> that's i was gonna say i haven't even had a chance to watch to rewatch the game yet i will do that today on monday um but i have heard that from quite a few people that i guess the uh the microphones <laughs> were quite loud on the doink but it was it's just, just like adding bizarre. insult to injury it's like it's how loud you really missed this like it was just it was kind of well, ridiculous <laughs> and it's so strange too like i'm looking at the box score in front of me uh right now and like the attendance was marked down as 995 people like it just looks weird you know it's, it was, it's like well i you know as the person who goes back and reads newspaper stories from 125 mm-hmm. years ago that's what it looks like something from oh we had a big crowd today of 1000 people like that's <laughs> that's how strange it is <laughs> and how, how far back you got to go to have crowds like this I mean, I, the whole the whole day was bizarre. Um, it, you know, it just I was sitting in the press box uh, in a seat that was more than six feet apart from the person to my left and the person to Good. my right, surrounded in plexiglass. Good. So it was uh, so it was, you know, everything Indiana did, I think, about as nice of a job as you could hope with the accommodations of keeping people spaced out, keeping, you know, only two people in the elevator at a time, all those kinds of things. But it was just so bizarre because you look at all these big moments in the game and you just there aren't many reactions because, you know, across from me, I could see like the Penn State bench and the Penn State parents are lining the bench, but even they have all of them very well spaced out in the stands. So it just you wait for these big moments to see, okay, how are they going to react? And you just don't get that like pregame. It was a pre-recorded marching band video that was playing on the fields, but the field's empty. And like, you're standing for the anthem, but eh, like the music's coming over the video. It was just bizarre. Um, but, you know, for so much of 2020, we said, oh, everybody's going to be grateful for, you know, Big Ten football. If it gets here, when it gets here, now it's here. And man, Penn State fans have to be hurting after that one. Um, Indiana pulls the upset in overtime. Controversial calls, but the bottom line, Penn State never should have let it get to that point. Um, Indiana wins 36-35. Penn State gets its heart broken. Season's Can I put you on the spot? Yeah, go ahead. Was it was it good or not? <laughs> Did Michael uh, Penix get get to the hit the pylon or cross the plane before going out of bounds? I don't think it was good. And so I'm looking I don't either, but I don't know if they could overturn it. Which exactly. Is the problem. <laughs> and that's the issue because as the play happened, I had my binoculars peering through the plexiglass, peering through a window, and I was looking right at the official right there at the pylon, and I saw him signal touchdown. 
And I'm thinking, okay, this is definitely going to get a second look. Then they put the replay on. Meanwhile, everybody at home has a much better view than I do because you're not allowed to like congregate in the press box. So normally big moments, everybody's like looking at the TV, but we can't like get together around the TV. (laughs) So I'm peering at this TV that's high up behind me trying to see it. And initially uh, the other Penn State beat writers that were there, there were about a handful of us. And we're like, yeah, we don't think he's in. And then we're like, but the ruling on the field is a touchdown. Is there enough to overturn it? And Matt, what a wacky sequence because Indiana starts running on the field and celebrating. Meanwhile, Lamont Wade rips his helmet off and he's sprinting on the field because he thinks it's going to get overturned. And I'm like, oh my God, both teams are celebrating. And it's just like the perfectly bizarre ending to such a weird, weird, weird game. And of course the call stands, um, Penn State, ushers out of the stadium indiana celebrates and even that moment you know you're thinking okay if this was a i don't want to say a real game but if this was like a real legitimate normal atmosphere uh, you'd have fans pouring over the stands rushing the field but there just wasn't any of that so instead it was just this really weird ending to the most bizarre game i think i've ever covered i think i think it, probably I mean, fair to say there's not much to compare it to it's like and just, you know, Indiana waited, said they haven't beaten a top 10 team since 87. Well, they hadn't beaten a top 10 team at home since 1967, but it didn't really feel like a home game because they didn't actually get to celebrate with their fans and all that. Uh, but it's just, I mean, Penn State's had a couple ridiculous openers when you think back to the App State game that yeah. had one parallel uh, in that, you know, App State could have kind of ran out the clock and gave Penn State a chance at the end. And that gets to the other probably um, – Biggest storyline from the game is the Ooh, touchdown, yeah. the the worst touchdown that Penn State's ever scored. <laughs> um, <laughs> and, you know, I think the the strange thing about the reaction to the game or, or interesting thing is that, you know, just kind of like reading the comments to your stories and stuff, ordinarily people would be, you know, outraged and out of their mind about the call at the end, which I think was everybody would agree is, you know, borderline. I, I lean toward it. He didn't score, but hard to overturn. But everybody kind of accepts, I think, that yeah, it never should have got to that point. As you said, there were so many things just like kind of reminded me of the Michigan State game at home a couple of years ago where they just made mistake after mistake after mistake after mistake and, and just threw the game away and yeah. had some poor game management. It reminds me of that. And, you know, they've had so many close losses in the James Franklin era and he just still are left with questions about game management and what happened on Devin Ford's touchdown. Um, you know, regardless, clearly the coaching staff or, or whoever did not emphasize enough that they should not have scored there. They needed a run clock. Uh, and then we saw what happened the next day too, with the Atlanta Falcons did, did like the same exact thing and yeah. uh, cost both teams. The game is just pretty wild, but that, I mean, that's, you had the game one and you didn't do what you needed to do to close the door. And I think that's a good starting point with this, Matt, because I, the Devin Ford play to me, it's so baffling on so many levels. Um, now, the thing is, and understandably so, James Franklin is never going to throw a player under the bus publicly. Um, he hasn't done it during his time here. He did not do it on Saturday, but as close as he got to saying it was, he said, yes, we went over that situation in practice this week. We talked about it on the sideline, but clearly it wasn't talked about well enough. And I guess the other point of this too is everybody, or not everybody, but a lot of people 
want to point to Ford and, oh my gosh, how can you score all of this? Well, okay, your third string running back becomes the starter after Noah Kane limps to the locker room in the first quarter, comes back later in the game, sitting on the sidelines, left left foot in a boot, and there were crutches there. So not a great scene, not a great day for the running backs in terms of health and who knows what that means moving forward. But in that huddle leading up to that moment, every other guy in there should be saying to Devin Ford, hey, Devin, remember, James said get as much as you can and go down. Do not score. Do not score. Do not score. So, yes, we can say Devin Ford should know better. Definitely. We can say James Franklin should have hammered the point home more, done a better job. Absolutely. Everybody else in that huddle should have been on it. And here's the thing, Matt. We don't know. Maybe everybody else in the huddle was saying that. And maybe Devin Ford just didn't listen. Uh, And that's the question that I would really like to get an answer to. And we won't. But if this was the NFL, and we've, we've seen this play out in the league where players make mistakes like that that cost you a game and in the NFL you're cut you know I mean it's you often more times than not you didn't do your job you don't live to see another another day and that's where I just don't know I don't think it's gonna have any impact I mean oh he's still gonna be the guy I mean you're not gonna have any other (laughs) options but I just wonder did he flat out refuse to listen did he forget i mean i i think, think it's the it moment ladder yeah yeah i think it's here's a wide open lane to the touchdown you're trained all your life to do this mm-hmm. like it's just it is a weird it's like the weirdest situation you can get in football like i mean it's and the weirder than it's it's the, like you know in, in basketball when you're when a guy tries to intentionally miss a free throw and then they struggle to do it and make it and they like, make it it's yeah. hard <laughs> like you're you're trained to do that like you're you know yeah it sounds so easy and it, it should be that easy but it is a weird situation yeah and that's I guess uh, part of the frustration with I'm sure coming from the Penn State side of it is where did that go wrong um, where did you somehow mess up the messaging the memo to Ford to not do that because even if you look at the sideline as it's happening you know everybody's like no 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 like stop and momentum carried him forward so just well, a, and the Indiana player like celebrated like it was I was just... gonna say that picture Matt was because it, it's in inside the my story on the athletic and you see Ford there cradling the ball in his left arm with a look of like as soon as he scored he knew like oh crap, I wasn't supposed to do that. And the Indiana players signaling touchdown. And it's just such a bizarre moment. Um, but one of many that if it goes, you know, if things go the other way, Penn State wins this game. And I think you could probably point to like six or seven sequences in this game that all of them are like, okay, if Penn State makes, you know, yes. one of three field goals, uh, the game, they win it. Um, if Sean Clifford doesn't throw two brutally bad interceptions, uh, probably changes it. You know, the special teams gaffes, Lamont Wade taking a kick return from the goal line and then bobbling it and trying to pick the ball up and run. Just, it was bad all around. Like, I guess, Matt, the good thing is, is that there's plenty of blame to go around then you can't just say and that was James Franklin's point after the game was hey I don't want this all to be about Devin Ford scoring a touchdown there were so many other things right and he's right because this was just all around you waited all offseason for this um and you, you got that in return I just especially I guess Matt the opening drive for Penn State I thought wow this this offense looks pretty good you know, we're seeing the sixth uh, offensive lineman in there. They're moving the ball. They go for it on fourth down. 
truly, clearly trying to send a message, set a tempo right away. Hey, we're not going to go for the chip shot field goal. Uh, Sean Clifford p- finds Pat Fryermuth for the two-yard touchdown. But then everything between the end of that first drive and the last play of the third quarter for that offense was just a mess. Well, for, wait, one thing I wanted you to go back to, first yeah. of all, is the one other part of the uh, touchdown that shouldn't have been that I, it's easy to say in hindsight, but mm-hmm. my opinion with after Devin Ford scored that touchdown, Penn State should have called timeout, regrouped, and gone for two. Yeah. You can rectify that mistake by putting the game away. If Penn State goes for two and makes it, it's a nine-point game. If you miss it, it's a seven-point game. You're still in, ends up in the same situation where if Indiana scores, they either kick an extra point, go to overtime, or they go for it, which they did in overtime. Indiana played to win the game. Penn State, you know, made the mistake. They, they <laughs> scored a touchdown they shouldn't have. I would argue that they should have gone for two in that situation. It might have been difficult in the chaos of the moment and all of that, the confusion. But – you erase that mistake if you have confidence in your guys and go out there and get that two pointer and the game's over. That's a really good um, point. Um, but Matt, it's, it's the like, type of thing that you would see more often recently. We've seen people question some of the two point decisions that have been made, like that seem a little bit more, more bolder, but the, the numbers back up. And I think that was one of those cases where it would have been justified to do it. Cause again, you could have done what Indiana did in overtime. It's you went, go win the game, but they didn't. And they didn't in so many areas. Uh, You know, the two quarterback package, we saw that uh, they went to that in the first half with Will Levis. (sighs) (laughs) I think that's probably the appropriate response uh, for it. I mean, Levis is running on the field. There's a little bit of confusion getting Sean Clifford off delay game penalty. Then they try it again a little bit later around uh, in the red zone and Levis comes on and fumbles the ball. Indiana recovers. And it's like, okay, we knew that this package was going to be part of the playbook to some extent because Kirk Shiraka had been asked about it this off season. Uh, Will Levis was asked about it at virtual media days and he said, Oh, well, I'm not sure, but if it is part of it, you know, the game plan or the package, whatever, I, you know, I'd be up for it. And I think it still makes sense. I don't think that this package is gone for good because we saw Sean Clifford is going to use his legs a lot. Um, and I guess we might be able to make the argument now that might be the best part of his game as strange as that is to say he's going to take a pounding so if you can use Levis to mix things up to maybe take some of those hits that Clifford otherwise would there could be some benefit to it but Clifford said operationally we have to be better Um, I mean you can't go to a gadget play like that twice and have it fail twice I mean that is that's as bad as it gets. I just, and it was, of course, Matt, I mentioned this in my takeaways piece that is up Monday morning on the athletic. It was reminiscent of the last time Penn state played at Indiana two years ago. Tommy Stevens grew up right down the road, um, went to Decatur central high school, which I thought of as I was driving in on Friday to Bloomington and and past Tommy's high school. And all the talk was, Oh, is Tommy healthy? Are we going to see that two quarterback, the lion package? Well, it's still flirting around out there, even in this new blended offense. Um, and just, you didn't get the results that you had hope, hoped for out of it. It's it's hard to know where to even like begin with the offense, which just yeah. felt very, it's, it's weird to say. I mean, they had 488 yards. Sean Clifford had 357 total yards. And they end up with 35 points. Of course, that's in overtime. But it just, it, it was a very bland, blah effort. And now I understand, look, uh, the guy who I think, well, one of the two best players on the offense was declared out, you know, 
a week ago, not even a week mm-hmm. ago, Journey Brown. Noah Kane, who's the guy who, okay, well, he looked like the best running back midseason last year, is a guy who consistently can can keep the offense on schedule, move the chains. He goes out on the first drive. So you, I completely understand the bind the offense is in. But it just felt like an underwhelming debut for Kirk Scirocco. It felt un, unimaginative. Um, I, I think there were just too many situations of running Devin Ford on inside zone straight into a crowded line. And that's and just not Devin Ford. Yeah. Not Devin Ford. It looked more like Kevon Lee, who I, I, you know, I know he got stuffed on the the fourth down, but on that one drive looked pretty good, um, and, and kind of in a cane like role where where he, you know, just kept his momentum going, got got some positive things going for the offense. So it's just it's and then when we good, you know, you mentioned Clifford's legs, and he had you know 119 rushing yards. Threw the 60-yard touchdown to, to John Dotson that looked like it might have won the game at the time. Uh, but certainly not, you know, despite the completion percentage being pretty good at 24-35, it's just Clifford was, was not particularly impressive here. I mean, it was he felt like he kind of had happy feet in the pocket under pressure, mm-hmm. and they didn't throw the ball downfield. You know, they threw two attempts longer than 20 yards. The one was the touchdown to John Dotson, who was wide open. And yeah. so it just felt like, I don't know, it, it was not a very, they didn't feel like an offense outside of a little bit of the first drive that was going to get into rhythm. And then the, you know, the one other time they kind of got into rhythm, they ran in the second half. It was an eight, eight minute drive or seven minute, 39 second drive that resulted in zero points and <laughs> kind of put them in a hole. Yeah. That was the moment when you're just like, what wow. is happening? <laughs> yeah. And it's, I mean, the whole thing, Matt, I guess it goes back to the point, which has really been the one of the biggest themes for this offense, is what playmakers do you have besides Jahan Dawson and Pat Fryermuth? Now, we went over you know all the running back stuff, and I'll reiterate because I'm sure somebody's going to ask. We don't know what the status is with Noah Kane moving forward. I would be stunned if James Franklin actually, you know, tips his hand and acknowledges such a thing on Tuesday of Ohio State week when he next meets with the media. But the fact that, you know, Kane was wearing a boot, there were crutches there with him. I, you know, I, it certainly isn't the sign that you had hoped for. But you see Parker Washington gets the start. Um, one of the bizarre things to me, Matt, and this is why I think we always kind of joke about depth charts being what they are. Uh, Cam Sullivan Brown listed as the starter. He made the trip, but he was not on the participation report. So, I mean, he was there. I saw him in uniform, saw him warming up. Uh, they come out using, you know, the sixth offensive lineman in Caden Wallace, which we saw, we saw a good amount of that. We also saw a lot of two tight end stuff with Brenton Strange and Firemuth, which I like both of those things. Um, but I guess this just goes to show, like, I don't know what's going on there with Cam Sullivan Brown, why we didn't see him, but you're relying on Parker Washington and Keandre Lambert Smith, um, two guys who had really nice debuts in their own rights, but you know, they're true freshmen and how much can you get out of that? I think right now this offense just did not appear to have the weapons on Saturday and, Quite frankly, it did not look very different than what we had witnessed for much of really the last two years. And I think that's probably the part that's most upsetting to fans is, you know, you go out, you bring in Kirk Sharaka with all this fanfare. And maybe this is just the byproduct of you did not have enough time this offseason to get everything together because the offense just looked a mess. And now 
we're really going to find out this week. How do you regroup? What can you scheme up? Because, oh, yeah, you've got one of the hottest teams in the country coming to Beaver Stadium Saturday night. Uh, yeah, that's that's all. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, positives. I mean, Dotson showed up and made the big play to, you know, put the, put them ahead. Pat yeah. Frymuth, you know, I think had a drop, but had a, overall had a pretty nice game. Uh, we saw positives from Kevon Lee at running back. But I don't know. The offense overall was hard. Again, despite the fact that they, they outgained Indiana 488 to 211. It was just – that's what's so weird. It's like the offense didn't look good most of the game. Yeah. And they still outgained them 488 to 211 at 27 first downs to 16. The game proved that time of possession is meaningless because Penn State held the ball for 40 minutes and then lost the game. <laughs> um but it's just Clifford was not sharp. They they were not aggressive with Clifford, and as, as a passer, they were more aggressive with him as a runner. So it's just a lot of a lot of lingering questions that you know it's you wonder about you know Clifford's ceiling and how much growth there is there, there's going to be. Yeah. And, and so I I don't know. It's definitely a lot of questions to answer. And you know, usually you talk about how much the team can improve from week one to week two. Well, this year week one to week two is Indiana to Ohio State. So and trying to avoid 0-2, which, you know, I think we'll get a little bit more to Ohio State in a bit, but it just, you know, it, it's kind of the nightmare start for Penn State, a game that in so many ways they should have won. I think uh, Bill Connolly from ESPN, I think, had Penn State's, like, win probability rate for that performance at 95%. Um, I looked up the only other these, – these are admittedly, like, ridiculous parameters, but I looked up on Sports Reference – whether anybody else has had a game where they had four, they had 475 yards and lost to a team that had 225 or fewer yards. And the only other instance of that happening in the last 20 years was Indiana against Oregon in 2004. So Indiana somehow has a knack of wow. these absolutely ridiculously improbable wins. <laughs> there's your stat of the day. <laughs> I, I just, I, there's so much to, to still unpack from this thing, Matt. I mean, I, I the point you made about what is, kind of the ceiling for Sean Clifford. I think that's a good one because it it's one of the big storylines for this year, or I guess still is um, all off season. It's okay. Do you have the right guy to get you to that next level, to that upper echelon into the college football playoff? And based off of what we saw Saturday, he, he did not look to be that guy. Uh, now, Kirk Shiraka certainly has done a heck of a lot. We saw it with Tanner Morgan most recently, but I, I know fans, I got a lot of this, of course, oh, you know, put, put somebody else in. It's not like you've been recruiting the heck out of the quarterback position where you've got, you know, a five-star who's just waiting in the wings. Like, it, th- that's not the situation here. Like, Clifford is your guy. You're going to continue to bring Levis along, see what it is. Um you know, I mean, you have Taquan Roberson back there. You have Micah Bowens, both of whom did travel. Uh, Penn State's not releasing a travel roster this year uh, for whatever reason. I guess competitive advantages, disadvantages, I'm not sure. But, I, I mean, all four of the quarterbacks did make the trip and got to watch Bowens warm up a little bit, try to get a better feel for his arm. But, yeah, I, I just – I do wonder with Sean Clifford what kind of progression – Penn State's going to see with him because it's going to have to be immediate the way you look at it right now. And you say, okay, this season has the chance to spiral out of control here uh, in a span of a week. So, so much of that always falls on your quarterback, uh, rightly so or not. 
you got to have a guy who can get you to that next level. But the bottom line, Matt, is as we kind of maybe get ready to shift into the defense, Penn State did not look like a top 10 team um, in any regard on Saturday. Well, you, you lead me to what I was going to ask you, and I think our answers mm-hmm. might be on defenses. All right, we've, we've dealt with the 100 negatives from this game, and it's hard to avoid doing that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but all right, give me somebody who stood out to you in, in a positive manner. Joey Porter Jr. I I really liked uh, what we've seen from him. And I also like the fact that this is somebody who had, we kept hearing about, he had this great preseason, how he beat, you know, Keaton Ellis out. He beat out Marquise Wilson. And he did not look like a guy who was making his first collegiate start. Um, there's really was nothing timid about him. Uh, and I think there is a lot to like with, with Porter Jr. back there. I'm going to, I agree completely. I think he had a, a very solid opening game. I mean, Indi- you know, Indiana's passing numbers were a little bit misleading, I think, because uh, Michael Penix definitely missed some open receivers. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I think, you know, Penn State got away with some things in, in, in past defense. But overall, you look at the numbers, you went 19 of 36, 170 yards, only averaged 4.7 yards per attempt. Lamont Wade had that very, very big interception. But I'm also going to give credit to, the pass rush now if you look at the basic numbers i mean they ended up having three sacks uh two of which were shaka tony again coming up big in the fourth quarter uh joey porter jr had that one but it, it felt like only a matter of time before they were going to start you know getting Penix to the ground uh he didn't really show up in the box score but jason Oway, according to sports info solutions had 12 pressures in this game and i know that is a number that kind of lacks context like you know, okay, how how many pressures do you guys typically have? Mm -hmm. I can assure you that is a really, 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 really big number. Uh, Owe just didn't really get Penix to the ground. You know, I think Penix did some good, did a nice job, you know, uh, under pressure for a good chunk of the game too. But you saw the potential of the Penn State pass rush. Tony came up with the two sacks. Owe was just so close so many times to making a game-changing play. It just didn't happen. But he he was there and made his presence felt. So I think it still was a very nice debut for Jason Owe and, you know, kind of the advanced stats back that up with how often he, he did create pressure and win matchups. And, you know, even Adisa Ozick on there too, he got called for that, the face, face mask yeah. penalty. It was a terrible call. It was not a face mask. So that was one thing that also kind of got lost and everything, but that was a huge, penalty huge call. call. Yeah. It, it was, he didn't, he didn't, it looked like it was one of those plays where he, you can see why they called it because it looked like it was going to be a face mask, but it wasn't actually, he didn't get it. So that was, that was a tough one for Penn state that uh, I would say was a worse call than what happened at the end of the game, actually. <laughs> Which, yeah, by the way, the, um, the reach as it's being called by amongst Indiana fans, uh, I did see this morning, there's a t-shirt that's going Already. around. <laughs> yeah. With the reach on it and uh, Penix extending his arm. Yeah. I, you know what? I, we saw a little bit of Hakeem Beeman as well in there, uh, which was kind of a, a good, pleasant surprise to see. And what I guess is perplexing about the defense, um, Brandon Smith, we did not hear a peep from. Uh, Linebackers were quiet outside of a targeting penalty. Yeah. And so, okay, by the way, up, oh, you lose Jesse Lucetta for targeting heading into, you know, what was supposed to be now definitely is your biggest game of the year. Um, so that was, that was a tough blow and Ellis Brooks, there was a, 
it looked like he almost could have been called for targeting at one point as well, um, was not. But yeah, I just, the Brandon Smith thing really surprised me. Zero tackles, didn't, so, didn't show up on the stat sheet. Yeah, I, I just, I'm not sure what the problem was there, why, you know, why he was so quiet at, like I said, I have to go back and, and rewatch that to kind of see a little bit more of that. But that one surprised me because I still think Smith is going to have to be that guy. And we saw Lance Dixon come in. Uh, he's going to have to be the guy without Jesse Lucetta. We'll expect to see Ellis Brooks, Brandon Smith and Lance Dixon. Um, so really, I mean, you've got a linebacking core that, this, I believe, should have been Brooks's first career start, Smith's first career start, and Dixon should be in line to make his first career start next week against Ohio State. So uh, the pressure is on I will say, you know, Indiana, they beyond, you know, Stevie Scott kind of walked on, touched in for that one touch. No, yeah. Overall, they, they, overall, Indiana didn't run the ball well. And, okay, I should also point out that Penix somehow escaped on that two-point conversion, the first two-point conversion that Penn State yeah. looked like had read completely – and he just made a great play and then also made a great play at the end. But overall, it was still Penn State's run defense from last year where Indiana had, uh, including sacks, it was 26 carries for 41 yards. Um, and uh, C.V. Scott had 20 carries for 57 yards, had two touchdowns, but 2.9 yards per carry. Overall, Penn State's defense, again, played pretty well. Um, you know, it's just unfortunate, you know, they give up the, they gave up the plays they couldn't give up. And you give up the, the big drive at the ends that, you know, cost him the game. Well, among and 400 other things, but overall there were still, I think more, there are probably more positives from the overall performance to take from the defense than negative. So I think, you know, we need to yeah. be fair with that, which they only gave up 211 yards. Part of that was in the end, didn't run a ton of plays because Penn state kept the ball for so long, but there were also some three and outs and the pass rush yeah. overall generated pressure. And we saw nice things for some of the defensive back. So and I still think it's net positive for the defense, despite, you know, just again, not kind of coming through when they needed to slam the door most. Yeah. And that slamming the door most, of course, was the seven play 75 yard drive. Um, you mentioned the ridiculous Penix two point conversion that was legitimately good to push this one to overtime. Um, and during that drive, you mentioned the Adisa Isaac, the kind of phantom face mask penalty. Uh, Shaka Tony also was flagged that drive. And that, I mean, those were two important moments because it kept Indiana moving down the field. And as you're watching it, I mean, you've got a completion for 12 yards and you're thinking, oh, okay, it's one, whatever. But then a little later on, you know, second and five, you see completion for 13 yards. Then they follow up another one for 10 and for 14. And uh, next thing you know, I mean, they're in the red zone and you're like, oh boy, but yeah, okay. Still, if they get in, they'd have to go for two. It'd have to be successful, eh, you know. And then, I mean, watching that two-point conversion, uh, it just felt like you were watching a play happen in slow motion. I mean, it was just <laughs> incredible. I mean, I'm sitting there with my binoculars, and you're just watching Penix move. And it was almost like mesmerizing because you're seeing this thing, and you're just like, oh, my gosh, like the defense, it looks like, it, you know, Joey Porter said afterward, Porter Jr. He said, you know, we had the right call. He just made a hell of a play and it's exactly what it was. And so that sequence, you're like, oh my God, this thing, get ready for overtime. It's going to go to overtime. And then Indiana come, <laughs> comes out with that ridiculous squib kick. And you're like, oh my God, a few more plays and Penn state maybe kicks a field goal. Maybe there isn't like, I just, I guess Matt, now we'll, we'll go to kind of bets or I don't know. Do you have more for the defense? Anything else in there that 
good, bad, and different? I think we cover most of it. Okay. Because the special teams, boy, oh, boy, oh, boy. <laughs> um, I just, the squib kick was definitely like a, certainly a surprise to Penn State. Um, but you get there, then it's like, all right, see if you can reel off a few plays. Uh, you see Clifford run for nine yards. Then they take that incompletion to Jahan Dotson. Indiana takes a timeout. You got eight seconds left. Third and one at that point, um, Penn State brings Stout out to attempt the 57-yard field goal. Now, one of the things that I was kind of surprised with with that sequence was, hey, why don't you try to maybe get some more yards, make this – I mean, Stout's got a huge leg, don't get me wrong, but you want to try to make that as manageable of a a field goal as you can, and you've got eight seconds there. So still what? I think – would have tied his record he set last year was like the same that yeah yeah i mean one it, yard would have helped because one more yard would, he would have made it <laughs> and and that's kind of the painful thing great when kick. you look at it, it. Just yeah just short i mean you look at the replay and you're like oh yeah had they gotten a couple more yards you know you, then you don't go to overtime but you left indiana with three seconds um they just at that point you know force it to overtime no big deal but Penn State special teams, this was also not a not a good day for them. 0 for 3 on field goals, uh, the stout miss of 57, which we can say, okay, it's 57 like that. I can excuse that. Uh, but the two Pinnegar misses. It, Matt, it Especially just, the first one, 47 even. It's yeah. excusable, like it happens. But the, the first one was just – It's a chip it, shot. It felt like such a big sequence when Penn State got you know the fumble back and had, had a shot and, you know, it's just – that's – Pinnaker missed one field goal all of last year and ends up with two misses this game. So it just adds up in a game that was decided by a point by inches. Uh, and, you know, what? but it wasn't just, you know, missing field goals. It's, you know, you mentioned the Lamont Wade return early, earlier, you know, John Dotson bobbled that one, the, the, the one fumble that could have easily gone Indiana's way, but the player was yeah. out of bounds. Um, it's just kind of repeated mistakes that somehow the worst special teams mistake was actually by Indiana on that just unbelievably terrible squib kick. <laughs> but <laughs> Um, other than that, though, is just, you know, Penn State put such as like anybody else, but Penn State has, you know, made a show of, you know, how much they value special teams and under Joe Lurie can bring in a full time coordinator. And uh, this wasn't it. <laughs> not, yeah. not, not, it was not their week. When your, your special teams mantras change the game and they did not change the game on Saturday. Um, and that's, I just think it's one of many. And, you know, you have games like this where, we haven't seen it very often from Penn State, but the turnovers and the penalties, and that's the part that Franklin really harped on. And I'm sure he's going to mention it again quite a bit, probably on Tuesday when he next meets with the media. But those kinds of showings, I mean, it's really difficult to win a game, you know, when you're out there getting flagged left and right. And when you're, you know, just making these costly mistakes in all three phases. And that to me was the thing. It's, you know, it seems like for the last few years, at least, you could look to a loss and say, oh boy, more often than not, well, yeah, the offense didn't do this, 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 but the defense was great, or special teams bailed them out. Neither, none of these phases could bail out the other one. I mean, it was, yeah. and I guess that's kind of the the question or the problem going forward is, what do you have to work with? What are your bright spots? What are, what are your positives on this team? And I still think the defense is going to have to be that while the offense maybe sorts itself out. Um, we did see after Lamont Wade had that uh, kick return that he attempted from the goal line, um, Parker Washington then got a shot back there. And by the way, I mean, Devin Ford was the person back there to start the game, 
But then once he became the top back, then it's like, all right, we got to shuffle that a little bit and kind of make him the, the off returner. So, I mean, they've, it's like they're playing with one hand behind their back right now because of all the injuries and stuff like that too. So, ah, yeah, Matt, I I just, I, I don't know how you regroup and get ready for Ohio state. Well, Let's move into that because let's re- let's regroup and move on to Ohio Oof. State. <laughs> um, Burn the tape. Er, Burn it. <laughs> Seven thirty Eastern kickoff Saturday night. College game day still coming to town. Uh, it is you know it's actually the only game between ranked teams this week, so it's still kind of the marquee game, but certainly a different feel. Number one, Penn State is coming off of a loss, trying to avoid going zero and two. You know, number two, there's not going to be a whiteout crowd there. It'll be a, I guess a silver out in a very eerie and strange beaver stadium on halloween night on halloween night and uh ohio state on saturday got off to a kind of a slow start against nebraska but then they did what was expected justin fields went 20 of 21 for 276 yards two touchdowns also led the team with 54 rushing yards ohio state ran for 215 yards against nebraska it wasn't the running game wasn't really clicking on all cylinders yet um, their defensive line didn't look great early in the game, and, and linebackers Nebraska did some damage on the ground. So it wasn't that's the thing here. It wasn't even a by any by any means a a perfect Ohio State performance. Like they showed some flaws, and they still won fifty two to seventeen. Now Penn State should be a better team than Nebraska, but it just speaks to the talent Ohio State has. You know, this is one of the two best quarterbacks in the country. Uh, their you know their receiving core is ridiculous. Um, two receivers over 100 yards last week. So it's just we, – we know about the five-star talent that Ohio State has. They're just more talented than every other team in the Big Ten. So give me a key, Audrey. How does Penn State, which Ooh. has played Ohio State better than anybody the last four years, or really, you know, five of the last yeah. six, uh, what's the key? How, how, how do they do it? <laughs> I, you know, I, I think – I guess if, if you're Penn State, you do have the advantage of, for whatever reason – or whyever this is, you just always seemingly match up well against Ohio State. Um, I think last year, though, even it wasn't really indic- – like the final score was closer than the game really was. I mean, this is a huge order for Penn State to try and go in there. But I think you got to figure out, okay, they're going to find a way to, to shut down John Dotson and take him out of the game. So that leaves you with Pat Fryermuth. Um, I Okay, so you, I just don't think the offense is going to have the weapons to do it. So I think your best your best bet here uh, is to try and get something from your defense. You mentioned the pass rush with Jason Oway, Shaka Tony, Adisa Isaac. Um, you're going to need this defense to play out of their mind. Now, last year, Lamont Wade did have that play out of his mind game against Ohio State. was a ball magnet. Uh, they're going to need to find a way to create some takeaways and – Every little mistake that you make for Penn State in a game against Ohio State, it's all magnified because, like you said, Fields 20 of 21, the throws that Michael Penix was missing, Justin Fields is not going to miss. So you got to try to get some pressure on him and then hope that your guys can hold up in coverage. And that's going to be, you know, where, okay, you got Joey Porter and you got Tariq Castro Fields. They're going to try to pick on these guys. They're going to try to see if this secondary can eliminate some of those big plays, which were the problem last year. And then you got to see how I'm curious how they're going to attack this linebacking core, you know, with Luketa serving that, uh, that first half suspension for targeting. So uh, to me, Penn state's defense is going to have to get a pass rush somehow on fields. 
to give the offense a shot to have Sharaka game plan something masterful uh, to, to try to somehow stop the bleeding, but it's going to be tough. No doubt about it. Yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that, I mean, that sums it up. It's going to be tough. No doubt about it. I would agree. Um, and especially, I mean, who knows if you have Noah Kane or not? I mean, that's yeah. the other part of this. Like, I mean, as James Franklin said last week, yes, they wanted to see Keziah Holmes and Kevon Lee. They wanted to get them in a game to see how they responded. But you didn't want them to be your number two back week two against Ohio State. I mean, that's just the reality, most likely, it seems, of the situation that Penn State's in right now. A weird thing about this game was, well, slightly weird, I guess. It's already moved. But there were a couple opening lines that came out yesterday. And one I saw Ohio State was only an eight-point favorite. The other, ten I think those have already gone up. I'm now seeing a line that's 13 and a half. That sounds, I I assumed Ohio state would be like a two touchdown favorite in this one. It's like, I know if you look, you know, the advanced metrics are still going to like Penn state, just, you know, not, not to win the game, but like just Mm -hmm. in general, because again, you know, 19 out of 20 times Penn state wins that game on Saturday based on what happened. So, you know, the advanced metrics try to look at um, and Vegas will look at, you know, how the team actually played compared to what the result was. But there were still a lot of concerning things as we covered on, about the offense and just, you know, the the absence of two of what I'd say two of the team's three best players coming into the year. Yeah. And Journey Brown and Michael Parsons. Now we're down Noah Kane, potentially. It just adds up to a lot where we already, even with Michael Parsons, even with Journey Brown, I'm guessing neither of us would be picking Penn State to win this game. I would have picked him to lose a close game. Yeah, I would yeah. not have picked him. So it's just a lot of hurdles with an Ohio state team. I had Ohio state number one. And again, losing to Ohio state, it's not like that's a big problem this year for Penn state. Ohio state might win the national championship. Like, yeah, it's your biggest rival. You're trying to catch up to Ohio state. You're measuring yourself against Ohio state. I had Ohio state preseason number one on my AP ballot. I have them number three right now, but I still think they could be the best team in the country. They're just trying to catch up after, you know, the delayed start to the season. So you look at Ohio State, it's, you know, look, they're not, they did lose a ton of talent from last year. You know, they were only only four returning starters on, on, on defense. They lost a defensive coordinator. It's not like it's a perfect, 100% flawless, unbeatable team. Penn State has given Ohio State games with worse teams than this. Uh, you know, I think the 2014 game was on Big Ten Network pretty recently. Yeah. Uh, but it's just, we're going to have to see a big leap. We're going to have to see them be more aggressive. I don't think, you know, going on eight minute drives is going to, is going to work. You're going to have to take some chances. You're going to have to push the ball downfield and test Ohio state secondary. And I don't know if they have the receivers to do it, but we're going to have to find out. And we're going to have to see, you know, I I mentioned the pass rush and maybe not getting home against Penix. They're going to have to get home against Justin Fields and get them to the ground. That was a problem last year as well against the Buckeyes. So just you're gonna have to step up and make the game-changing plays that were not made against Indiana, and you're gonna have to do it by making. You know, I th- what did you say in your article today? Uh, you can't make half as many mistakes and expect to be in the game. Yeah. So limit mistakes. You're gonna have to make more game-changing plays, and even then, it's gonna be a battle to the finish because that's just how good Ohio State is. I mean, you've got a team that just seemingly can beat you in so many ways with Ohio State, and I think. We're going to learn a lot, as you mentioned. We're going to learn an awful lot about this Penn State team this week, one way or the other, because how they come out on Saturday to me is really going to be indicative of the leadership and, you know, okay, you just 
got it handed to you at Indiana. How in the world do you regroup? Um, what's your response to that? And, and I think those, all those things matter because that's the culture of your program. That's kind of the resolve of your team. Um, you know, it's, it's always easier when you're winning and things are going well, but I mean, if, if Penn state starts off, Owen two, what then, you know, how do you keep this thing going? Because you've, the bottom line is you fought so hard to have this season and players made, you know, crazy amounts you of play sacrifice. Maryland next. That's what happens. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. You get Maryland and then you play Nebraska. So, you know, you, you have that shot to, to level things back out, but you know, you don't want to dig yourself into a hole early, but that's just the reality of the situation that they're in right now. But I do think how they come out Saturday night, uh, it matters and it's going to matter an awful lot. I, I am curious, Matt, if, at least amongst the fan base, if there's still going to be that kind of buzz that, oh yeah, it's Ohio state coming to town. And I, I just, I don't know if you're going to get that because I think people are like, Ooh, yeah, this team isn't this Penn state team. Isn't what you thought it w- would be. But again, maybe Saturday was just the worst of all three phases season opener. Things went everything that went wrong could, could have gone wrong. And maybe they got it out of their system. Yeah. <laughs> like I, you know, I There's just There's an opportunity to change everything. If you win if if they beat Ohio State, every you know it doesn't it's matter. almost yeah. forgotten. Like you're you're the favorite you're all of a sudden I don't want to say the favorite in the Big Ten because you know Michigan looked pretty good on Saturday too and they're tough competition, but still it it doesn't erase it, but it it will be quickly forgotten. And yeah, that opportunity you, is still there. You can control your own destiny if you win this week, right? That's the for the most exactly. part. I mean, that's that's the thing. So I'm sure James Franklin will be preaching that quite a bit this week. Uh, Penn State off Monday. We'll hear from James Franklin Tuesday afternoon, as per usual, as we uh, march throughout the week. Matt, I guess uh, I think I went first last week, so I guess it's time for me to put you on the spot with an Ohio State score prediction. I'm going to go Ohio State uh, 34, Penn State 24. I do okay. think Penn State stays within striking distance, but it's just – I don't. I think they stay within striking distance, but I don't know if it ever it's ever going to feel like they have a real shot to win the game. Kind of like last year, where it, they they played them close, played them tough. They had a brief moment where they looked like they could come and win the game, but you know, it just Ohio State is the more complete team right now, and you know, has the quarterback edge. Just they have the quarterback edge against anybody not named Clemson, and even then, it's like a draw. And yeah. you know, I, I think with. Justin Fields with the receivers that Ohio State has, which is also clearly an edge in this game. You know, it's going to be a huge test for Penn State's pass rush, for Penn State's cornerbacks, uh, defensive backs as a whole, to, to keep with them. It's going to be hard to limit at least a couple big plays. So I, I think Penn State gives a good effort. I I think, you know, I, I, I don't think what we saw on Saturday is going to be what we see from Penn State the rest of the year. They're just not going to make that many mistakes. It was just kind of a perfect storm of, of – terrible things to go wrong they're going to clean some of that up i think they're going to play a better game but the result on the scoreboard will look worse just in terms of the margin of victory just because that's how good ohio state is and uh you got to play a perfect almost perfect game to beat ohio state and i I don't think penn state quite has that you know maybe we'll be surprised but uh, i like the buckeyes by 10 I'm going Penn's I'm sorry. I'm going Ohio state. Let's make sure we're, we're correct here. Gosh, I probably just had some people lose their mind thinking I was going to go for the upset. Uh, I've got Ohio state 40 Penn state 17. Um, I just Penn state doesn't have the horses right now. 
And I'm going to kind of spin it a little bit in the recruiting element as well. Uh, since I was out at Gateway High School last Friday on my drive out to Bloomington, stopped, chatted with Derek Davis Jr. There's a story up on The Athletic of me picking Derek's brain about his finalists. And he was in Columbus this past weekend. Uh, Kyle McCord and some of the Ohio State uh, commits had a little gathering, which we're seeing a lot of teams do this now. Uh, Players can get together for these marquee games and like go and watch it at a restaurant since, you know, you can't have any actual interaction with the team. So it goes back to recruiting for me, Matt, and Ohio State has the edge there, continues to have the edge. And now, you know, you've got Derek Davis, who is LSU, Ohio State, uh, Penn State, all amongst his seven finalists. And you've got a chance to impress recruits if you can win, if you can keep it close. Um, I just don't think this particular Penn State team, with all that's kind of working against it right now, injury-wise, has the horses to do so. So I'm going to Ohio State 40, Penn State 17. But we'll see, Matt. There have been stranger things that have happened uh, in Penn State, Ohio State games. Um, cardboard. Nobody thought they'd win in 2016, so. <laughs> hey, yeah. I mean, in the 2016, after that loss to Pitt, the sky was falling. So it's never as good as it looks when they win. It's never as bad as it looks when they lose. Although this one looked not so great. All right, let's play our favorite game from last year. Who's going to lead Penn State in rushing? <laughs> oh, gosh. Uh, Sean Clifford. I'm going to go Sean I, I was going to say the same thing, actually. <laughs> yeah, I just I, – I mean, I, I don't know what you do in that running back room if Devin Ford can't go. Um, Noah Kane. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, I'm sorry. If Noah Kane can't go, <laughs> gosh. Then, uh, I mean, I think at that point you're going to use Devin Ford an awful lot, but he's just not that between-the-tackle guy. Yeah, he's that guy – who maybe you can, you know, have catching passes in space. He's so slippery, those kinds of things. He's not that downhill runner that Noah Kane is. So we're going to have to see. Um, we'll be monitoring Kane's status all week, see what comes of that. Um, I will be in the press box Saturday night. So if you keep it locked in, uh, we have the real-time feature on the athletic app. Make sure your app is updated. I've been posting all kinds of things uh, throughout the week and throughout the game in there. So there'll be plenty of that. And we'll see what Beaver Stadium looks like for the game of the year with a not white out crowd, although they did want fans to wear white for their cardboard cutout photos. So it's going to be weird, uh, but we will be there and we'll see what happens. So as always, thank you for listening to Dear Old State, the Athletics Penn State football podcast. Please be sure to rate, review, subscribe. I'm Audrey Snyder with Matt Brown, and we'll be back next Monday.